Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. We're wrapping up today this series that we've been in. We've been looking at identity, and we've been walking through the book of First Peter in the New Testament, and we've been pulling out several key identity statements. There's a lot more we could have been been talking about in the book of First Peter, but we're really zeroing in on the identity statements that we see throughout the book of First Peter because these have an impact on, on all of life. And so the definition we've been talking about for identity is this. It's who I am at the core of my being. And so hopefully this has been helpful for you as you've been looking at what does the Bible say? If you're a Christ follower, what does the Bible say about your core identity? So, you, so we can get very clear in on that. And our, our self-concept grows out of our sense of identity. And if it's a skewed understanding or a skewed concept of identity, then there's a ripple effect in all of life. It's kind of like looking into a carnival mirror. If you've ever done this before, it's kind of fun, you know, going into the big carnival house where you can, you know, see yourself in the mirror. And now they have apps on our phone to do this. But, but if, if our view of ourselves is distorted, then we experience only a fraction of the joy and the life that God really wants for us to live. And so our sense of identity shapes our character. It informs our decision. It, it, it lays out a purpose for why we live our life. And so if you've been here in this series and you're not yet a Christ follower, then I hope that you've seen a glimpse of the treasure that is found in making Christ the Lord of your life. That's, that's been one of our goals, is to help make sense of what, what it would mean to shift control of your life over to Jesus Christ. And what would he uh, then direct you to do differently as a Christ follower? So two weeks ago, we looked at how our identity impacts the way we relate to authority. And we talked about authority structures in place through the government, workplace, family life. And we, we focused in a few weeks ago on following. What does it look like to be a follower in an authority structure so that we can accomplish the purposes and the goals of that. Today we're going to look at the other side of that, which is the leadership aspect of it. What, is it, what does it mean to lead out in the different arenas of life? And so here, here's some of, this is a chart I wanted to just quickly walk through. Look at some of the goals for leaders uh, for the church. Ch- the church, the goal for, God's goal for the church is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, fully devoted followers, disciples, out of not yet Christians. Okay? For people to become Christ followers and then grow to become more fully devoted. And that's really a, a life on earth long journey. Uh, you don't become a Christ follower and all of a sudden you, you're just transformed completely uh, uh, in, in, in character. There's a process of, of change that goes on. There's a transformation process that takes time. And so the goal of the church is to help bring that process along, to be used by God to, to move that process along. In the home. Uh, to be companions in doing the will of God on the earth and to raise up godly offspring. This is one of the primary purposes of the family. And uh, so the leader is, is wanting to ensure that this is what is going on in that regard. Uh, in the government, to do its citizens good. We talked a little bit about this, but especially by maintaining order and justice uh, in the business to legally and ethically produce a profit. And then finally, you know, for those that are in uh, education, school, to educate students 
within parental authority. And so there are these different goals within each arena that we find ourselves in. Today I want to focus on the leadership aspect. What does leadership look like in these different areas? How do you do that God's way? And now a leader is responsible before God to lead a group, to accomplish those purposes. And a tug of war can exist and begin between leaders and followers, back and forth, tug of war, uh, which creates all sorts of unnecessary tension. Uh, and we experience that, don't we? The tension of leading and following. It's a difficult thing. And that's why we spent so much time on, on this issue of following first and then now leading. Uh, and now here's the identity statement. This is at the top of your listening guide. If you'd like, you can follow along on that. It's this. We'll see this in the, in the passage we're going to look at. But since I follow Christ then I lead like Christ. Since I follow Christ, I lead like Christ. The principles we're going to dig into today are specifically laid out for, they're written to spiritual leaders, okay? Leaders in the church. But these principles really apply across the board to leadership. And so, uh, if, you, if you lead in home, uh, if you lead in, in, at work, if you lead in the government, Wherever you lead, let's, let's just think in terms of uh, where do you have oversight? Where do you have responsibility? Where do you have to make decisions? Uh, where are you held responsible for playing your role? Where are you leading? Uh, so you may lead at work right now. You may lead here in church life. You may be a leader of volunteers. We have many volunteers that serve here at OCC. You might lead one of those teams. Or maybe you're one of the captains uh, of one of our ministry teams. Or maybe you're a group leader here. Or... You know, maybe you're a husband, and so this message, think in terms of how does this apply to the way you lead your family? Or if you're a mom, think about how does this apply to your role as you parent your child? That's a responsibility that you bear. If you're, if, if you're a student and you're responsible for helping things move forward in a group project, okay, so just try to figure out where does this fit into my life? And if right now you, you, you can't think of an area where to apply this, then uh, more than likely you will. More than likely, at some point, someone's going to snap the ball to you, and you're going to have to move some things forward in some area. And so the big question that we're looking at is, if and when you're handed that leadership, how will you, how will you handle that? So look at what Peter has to say. This is in the beginning of 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Peter writes this. Speaking to the elders of the church, he, he, he says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So right there, he starts with, the, you know, he's addressing this to the elders. Now, what does that word mean? Uh, there's three interchangeable Greek terms that are used in this passage. And I want to define each one of them. The first one here, to the elders, it's the Greek word presbyteros. And Presbyterian, you hear the word pres- presbyteros. Okay, this is where this comes from. Uh, that's a denomination, the church of uh, churches. But the word presbyteros, it means it has to do with the leader of the church, but it's the decision making aspect. It's, there's this uh, leadership decision responsibility. They, they, the leaders carry spiritual leaders carry the weight of having to decide what's going to happen. Uh, they have to set the direction. That's what this idea is. There are people that set the direction in church life. There are people that set set the direction in the home. And so, to the elders, Peter writes, that are among you, and he himself is, he plays this role, he tells them, 
this he, he's getting at in particular with this uh, distinct term uh, the weight of the responsibility you bear the weight okay look at the next verse this is a different term that's used he says to this group who is the elders he says be shepherds now he uses a new term he's still talking to the same group of people be shepherds this term it has to do with guiding or tending to so be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now keep this image in, in your mind. Shepherding, okay? Leadership, there's a point where if you're a leader, you have to shepherd. You tend to and you care for. So picture in your mind a shepherd caring for his sheep, okay? And we'll come back to the imagery in a moment. Then he goes, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Third term. So you have elders, shepherd, overseer. Different Greek term. Uh, the Greek term here is episkopos, and this word just literally means to see over. It's a compound word. Two words shoved together just means to see over. It's, it's this idea. You're, you're, you're amongst a group of people, okay? You're with a large group, whether it's a church or a business. Somebody needs to occasionally step up and look over the group to see what's happening. What's coming down the road? What's coming at us? What are the trends? Someone has to be managing and paying attention to the dynamics of culture, the dynamics of, of uh, the big picture, and that requires an overseer. The overseer, this function is a slightly different function than the shepherding function, which is to tend to and to feed. And so he uses these three terms because I think he wants us to really understand the weight and the scope of responsibility for leadership. So he goes, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Verse 3 says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, now the chief shepherd is Jesus. Jesus has given you, as a leader, or if, if you carry leadership, the chief shepherd has given you a sobering responsibility as a leader. He wants his people cared for in the same way that he would care for them. This is the responsibility of a leader. To care for those entrusted to them just as the chief shepherd would have cared for them. So he's, you know, leaders will give an account to the chief shepherd. He's handed off the care of his sheep, but you'll, in a sense, hand them back at the end of your life and you'll give an account for your stewardship. And if you've been faithful and you've done well, then Peter writes this. When the chief shepherd appears, um, well, this will happen for, for all that know Christ. You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is a promised inheritance of all Christ's followers. When you meet the chief shepherd, when you face-to-face, you'll, you'll step into eternity. Now, but this issue of responsibility and bearing the weight of responsibility of caring for people is something that I, I really want to help us wrestle through this morning. So here's, here's some... It goes on, actually, verse 4, or verse 5 says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter describes three things. I want to focus on how to lead God's way. The first thing is this, is to use your power to serve. Use your power to serve. Notice verse 2, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock 
that's under your care, serving as overseers. If you're leading in the church, God has given you this position and these people that you're responsible for. You know, these are people that God loves. He values. They've been made by God. He's entrusting them to you. Again, there's a weight here to the responsibility. And so the, the perspective that you find in the Bible is this is a stewardship issue. It's given by God. And it's sobering to keep this in mind. Basically saying, these aren't your people. These are my people. This isn't your church. This is my church. This isn't your business. This is, I, I'm trying to accomplish something in the world. This isn't just your family. This is, I'm trying to accomplish something in the lives of these people. And so he's given us a role to take care of some things for him. And so like a shepherd who watches out for the sheep under his care, a leader needs to show the same type of commitment that a shepherd would, would provide. A, a shepherd, if, if any of, we're not, most, I don't think there's any shepherds here, like literal shepherds caring for sheep. There might be one or two that have farms here. But a shepherd is committed to the welfare of the flock. They're aware of the risks. There's, there are threats to the sheep, literally. Sheep need to be cared for daily. They need to be fed daily. Uh, whenever there's an injury, they need to tend to the injury. They need to help nurture and, and help the sheep recover. They go after those sheep that wander off. They bring them back in a caring way. Here's another thing that shepherds serve by doing is, is they protect. Here's a picture. They protect from this. Wolves. Now, this can be applied to the issue of predators in, in all areas, whether it's whatever arena we're talking, business, government, family, church. This can be applied to that, but the leader has to be willing to beat back the wolves in order to protect the people under their care. This is part of your responsibility. Parents, this is part of your responsibility to pay attention. There are wolves and it's not just people. Yes, there are people that are wolves, but there also are decisions that will prey upon our children and families for years and years and years. There are wolves that will devour in the decades down the road if we don't pay attention right now to the decisions that will serve like wolves in the future. And so there are dangerous things to pay attention to in, in, in all these areas. In, in the church, you Spiritual leaders have to pay attention to uh, the flock. The way we do this, because we can't possibly care for all of the needs and protect in this kind of setting because we're too large of a group. And so the way we do this is we break down into smaller groups. And the group leader's responsibility is to, is to pay attention to the needs of those that they're responsible for. That may be a group of six. It may be a group of a dozen or even up to 20, 25 people. And there's this shepherding aspect that, that goes on because there's no way that we can feed and care for all of and protect just here in the large group gathering. And so that's why we always were talking about, hey, plug into a group, be known by people. But as, if God has given you people to lead, then the chief shepherd has entrusted these folks to you. This is how he rules the world. He puts leaders in place and he works through them. And we also see the right attitude towards our leadership role. It says this, not because you must, but because you're willing. We're commanded to lead with a free heart because you, he says, because you're willing. Face it, guilt and obligation are demotivators, aren't they? If you feel like I'm leading through guilt or 
I'm obligated as a leader. If you're leading because no one else will lead, if that's your only motivation, then you're headed for a brick wall of ineffectiveness, and that type of motivation will eventually run out. And so this is true in, in other arenas. Leadership, it's a privilege, but it can be very, very painful at points. And we can struggle with motivation because of the pain of leadership. Um, parents, are you ever tired? I mean, wake up, parents, real quick. I mean, <laughs> you're, it's tiring. It's tiring. We were hanging out last night with some friends, and they got a lot of little kids. And I mean, I'm in a different role, and I can like kind of sit back and just kind of support <laughs> and, and, and encourage. But I'm in a different role. The age of my kids are not as tiring anymore. If you're parenting right now, it's tiring. And, and you don't get a lot of praise from your nine-month-old, do you? And the smiles are great, though, aren't they? The smiles are great. But it's, it's tiring. And the issue of motivation, is it, it comes up often. Leading at work, it can wear on you. When people aren't working well, when they're, when they're making it difficult, it's, it, you know, it can be a grind. But if you're lacking in motivation in any area of leadership, ask God for help. Ask Him for motivation. Ask Him for help. Ask Him for strength. But if we're going to lead like Jesus, one of the things that we see is that we aim to show His love to those that have been entrusted to us. And so, another core motive comes up in the passage. It says this, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Okay, Part of the motivation. Have you ever followed someone who was mainly out for their own gain? For themselves. Now, Peter's not just talking about greedy for money. Sure, sure, that's part of the issue here. Shameful gain is more than that. It's, it's the gain of recognition. It's the gain of comfort. It's the gain of popularity or the gain of getting all the credit. And if a leader uses their influence to serve just their own needs for power or for validation, then relationships will be burned. You know, And over time, that leader will have very little influence. Trust erodes. Progress really begins to stall. I want to show you a video clip showing this. This is from a movie. It's called uh, The Iron Lady. It's about a former uh, British prime minister. And now, this is one of those cringe moments in her life, I'm sure. Um, Now, if a movie ever came out about your life, you wouldn't want the cringe moments to show up on that movie, right? You wish they would just leave that in in the archives. Drop that and do all the good editing. Show the best of you, right? This is one of those moments where it's like a cringe moment. And there's probably some context that I'm not fully aware of here, but watch the way that the Prime Minister talks to one of her right-hand members of cabinet. She begins to rail on him over some mistakes. And just take a look at how this leader handles her influence in this scene. What can we realistically hope to achieve by the end of session, Lord President? And why have we not made more progress to date? What is that? Is that the timetable? I haven't seen that. It is, Prime Minister. May I see it? Prime Minister, yes. Of course. The wording is sloppy here. And here. I do say so. It's really first draft. Oh, it's ridiculous. There are two T's 
in poverty. Tooties. Shameful. Shameful. How awkward. I can't even rely on you. For a simple time tip. Are you unwell? Yes. You are unwell. Give me your pencil. Give it to me. If this is the best you can do, I had better send you to hospital, and I shall do your job as well as my own and everyone else's. Gentlemen, as the Lord President has chosen to come to Cabinet unprepared, I shall have to close the meeting. <coughs> Good morning. It's pretty tense and uncomfortable. And you can see kind of everyone, everyone just kind of cowering in her presence, right? If you if, now. Before we think, wow, that's horrible. As I was watching that first service, I had a flashback. And it was trying to help my, one of my sons work on a, a math problem. Now it gets pretty personal, doesn't it? All of a sudden, oh, we made the connection here. <laughs> it's easy to just kind of look at that and go, wow, man, how horrible. Until we realize how easy it is to do that. You ever done that? I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that. If we lead that way, what happens over time is we end up losing the hearts of people and their motivation just drops low on the scale of working towards a goal, you know, for where they find themselves. In, in our lives, as we lead, we do well to ask this question. Keep asking this question. How can I make it good for those I lead? How can I make it good for those that God has entrusted to me to lead? If I'm a leader, this is where it gets real. How can I improve the quality of life for those that I lead? Because they've been entrusted to my care. Now, a leader keeps three priorities in place and in this order. The first thing is this. These are the three priorities of a leader. Number one is the mission. Mission needs to be first. If you lead, you've got to keep the mission first. What are you trying to accomplish? What's the goal? Keep that first. Um, if you'll focus on the mission, this draws respect and brings focus and clarity to the whole organization. So you have to keep the mission first. And that's not always easy to do. But you need to know what it is. You need to know what the, what's the win we're working towards. And we, this is what we're focused on. We're moving towards that. Priority number one. Number two, though, is the welfare of the followers, the care of the followers. This is the number two priority is to try to make it well for those that we lead. Because you're going to have to ask people to sacrifice at times for the greater good in order to accomplish the mission. And if they know that you're out for their best interests, then they'll be willing to run through a brick wall for you. If they know that, that you care about them, they would do that. They would, they would run, want to run through a brick wall and do something that seems impossible for the sake of the mission. If the order is kept in the right. Now, the third is this. It's, it's leader last. It's me last. If you're leading... If you lead and your followers know that you're willing to sacrifice for them and put your welfare last, what happens over time is trust increases and this fosters tremendous loyalty 
in the group. This is the way that Jesus led, which we started with that. If I follow Jesus, then I lead like Jesus. Now, Jesus led through service, and this, this was unusual. Even his followers, his disciples didn't quite get this. They, he, they would watch him serve others, but then all of a sudden they would be bickering over who was going to get to be his number two guy. So they're jockeying for position, and they're trying to say, can I, can I be the number two guy? I want the power, Jesus. As an argument breaks out amongst his disciples, Jesus corrects them. He says, look, leaders don't lord it over people by using their power and position of authority to be served. They serve. True leaders, he says, keep serving. What that does is it fosters loyalty and motivation for others to pay a high price. And that's what happened with Jesus. When, when over and over, as Jesus modeled serving and sacrifice, his followers were willing to sacrifice at a very high level. Ten of the twelve disciples, of the original disciples, died a martyr's death. They paid a price with their very lives. One of them betrayed. Judas was the betrayer. John the Apostle died in exile on an island. But the other ten, they died as martyrs. They gave their lives for the mission that Jesus lived for. So using our power to serve, it creates a tremendous synergy towards a goal that is not created by a leader who's using their power for themselves. That's the first thing, using power to serve. Number two is don't push, but pull others along. Pull others along. The natural path for leadership is to just push followers to do what the leader needs done at any time, by any method. And so even if you go and kind of read through countless books on leadership, many of the leadership books these days focus in on how to persuade people to do what you want. Have you seen that? How do you get your way? What is the most strategic way to get what you want as a leader? Here's some, this is just a quick search on some leadership books. Not recommending these. Just take a look at the titles. First one, Lead Like a Pirate. I'm not sure this is going to line up with and pass the Jesus you know, test here. Here's another one, How to Be Like Walt. A lot of studies have been done on Walt Disney and the Disney way, and, and you know, there's probably some lessons learned, but again, you want to check it out. You want to screen it. Does this pass the test? Here's another one, Lead Like a Heretic. Pretty sure we can steer clear from that one. Whatever you're taking in, though, we need to screen the input of our leadership resources to ensure they've been approved, that these ways and these methods are approved by the chief shepherd, Jesus. Now, in contrast, Peter provides two key ways to lead in a way that pleases God. First, he says, not lording it over those entrusted you. You're not lording it over them. Most leaders don't go in thinking, how can I control this person? But when faced with a deadline or stress, a lot of leaders, we can push. We can push. And the focus can turn to, how can I get this group to do what I need them to do now? But domineering may push people to do what you want for a brief period of time, but whether it's in the home or work or church, eventually you lose their heart, you lose their motivation, it eventually dries up. And so people instead can be pulled along, but it's almost impossible to push people. And Peter just shows us, how to pull people along rightly, and it's in this statement, the next phrase here, being examples to the flock, that pulls others along. You set the example. The Greek word here for example is the word typos. It's, it, it means it's where we get the word type. Leaders to be the, the example, the model for, for the people that they lead. And this type of model 
has the connotation of like a die cut or even a scar. A scar is a certain type, but the idea is that leaders are willing to suffer for the cause that they lead that they lead the group towards, and a leader is actually with the people that they lead. They're, they're with the people. This, they allow people to get close enough to, to see their scars even, to see the holes. They're, they're open. They're not placing themselves on a pedestal, but they're, they're setting the example and they're, they're sacrificing, they're risking. So as a, as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a business owner, it's going to take sacrifice. As a leader in church life, it'll take sacrifice. If you want to develop loyalty and motivation amongst your group, your small group, it's going to take risk and sacrifice. There needs to be a willingness to serve the group. Ultimately, you will lead in a way that will draw the respect of, of the group. Now, Peter wraps up this section by saying this. Wear humility as you work together. This is for everyone. Leaders, followers, wear humility as you work together. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 5 through 7. He says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves there under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So clothe yourselves with humility. To do this, to clothe yourself with humility, gives us a picture of like putting on the clothes of a servant, rolling up your sleeve, like putting on an apron in a sense, rolling up your sleeves, and getting ready to serve those that you lead. And I'm sure what Peter had in his mind was the many times he saw Jesus do this. One occasion is, it's, you know, day before his crucifixion, Jesus leads his disciples into this um, upper room where they share their final meal together in the Last Supper. And typically, you know, when people would enter a house before a meal, they'd come out of the dirty streets, they were wearing sandals in those days, they would walk into the house, and the servant of the house would, you know, grab a wash basin and begin to clean the master's feet first and then the guests of the house. And this was an act of service, but it was also an act of care, of hospitality. It showed honor. The servant would, would take the low form and clean. Now, imagine trying to clean someone's feet. I mean, there, there's not much lower form of service that I can think of, right? That's, you know, pretty gross, right? They come into this, this room for their final meal. There's no servant. Jesus, he stoops down, rolls up his robe, gets a wash basin, and begins to one by one wash his disciples' dirty, smelly feet. This is the king of the, uniform, of the universe stooping down to the lowest form. And Peter's like, you... No, not me. You're not going to, you can't wash my feet. You're Jesus. You're, this should be the other way around. Jesus, this is the way. This is the, this is the type of leadership. This is what it looks like. This, this was a radical move of service. He's showing this example. Earlier on in the week, on Sunday, this was, you know, Thursday, on Sunday of that week, which is Palm Sunday, we, which is today, 
Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the city where he would give up his life by the end of the week. But he, he rolls into town on a, not a stallion, not a Mustang. He's the king of the universe. People are recognizing his authority, so they're putting palm branches down, welcoming him as royalty. But he rides in on a lowly donkey. On a lowly donkey. Again, this is a picture in Peter's mind. This is radical, what Jesus is doing, the way he's leading, so different than the world. Now, this is what we expect. Do you remember the scene from Disney's Aladdin? Here it is, in case you forgot it. Prince Ali entering town. This is what we typically think when the king arrives. The wait in the old bazaar. Hey, you let us through. It's a bright new star. Oh, come be the first on the block to meet his eye. Make way, here he comes. Ring bells, bang the drum. Are you gonna love this guy? Prince Ali, fabulous. He, Ali Ababwa. Can you flex? Show some respect down on one knee. This is. That's a flashback for so many of you, I'm sure. But this, this is the way of the world. It's, it's, I'm the leader, I've arrived. Serve me. It's, I'm not going to roll up my sleeves. I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'm not going to do and take any risks here. There's others that will do that. There's followers to do that. This is Jesus' way is flipped upside down here. Jesus is, he, he clothes himself in humility. He rides into town, not with a luxurious entourage, but here, here's, here's a scene from one of the films depicting the life of Christ. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. Over and over and over, Jesus chose to humble himself rather than to exalt himself. This was, this was so different. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses uh, 5 through 11, it lays this out, that Jesus, he humbled himself. He took the form of a, ser- of a servant. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death. Death on a cross, you know, he goes to the lowest form po- possible. It's like he keeps taking step down, down. He leaves heaven, comes to earth. That's a pretty low step. It's a humbling step. Not only does he show up on earth, but he arrives and he serves. He takes a lower step. And a lower step. He eventually offers up his life and dies. The lowest step. And it says that Jesus, by doing this, he's a God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He goes from humility to God exalting him. This is the picture that Peter had in mind. So Peter, by the time he writes 1 Peter, which is many years later, he was this alpha male, get it done, in control man. He met Jesus and it changed his life and his own identity flipped and it shifted. And he, he learned, Peter learned to sacrifice and serve the way that his master did. And he became a very humble leader. And for us, the, the path is the same. A godly leader always wears humility. And so if you want to lead in life, wherever that may be, then, then do this. Clothe yourself in humility. If you want to lead, clothe yourself in humility. Literally, grab a towel, 
and start serving. Leaders are servants. Here, here in church life, our leaders discover that the path to leadership begins with serving well and serving faithfully here, serving the needs of people, sacrificing, building others up, putting interests of others ahead of our own. That's, that's, that's leadership 101 here. And that, that's leadership 101 in the home, in the workplace. The leader, if you're the leader, don't hear me say you don't need to make decisions and move things forward. You actually do. You, you bear the responsibility. You'll give an account. You need to, if you lead a business, you've got to make a profit. People are depending on you to lead and make good decisions and to pay attention and to have oversight. But there's aspects of this leadership in the home that, that we just have to pay attention to that God has entrusted to us. So as I wrap up this message, just get, get practical for yourself for a moment and maybe just pray and ask God, God, what, what do I need to do in regards to my area of responsibility? So as we, as we have the worship team make their way back up to the stage, consider, consider some of these next steps. And The first one is ask God to show me any wrong motivation or method as I lead just to highlight things that I need to tweak, I need to give some time and thought and attention to. Second, as John mentioned, and you know, he'll highlight again, come back next week for Easter and celebrate with us. Um, but then we've just left a line here blank. If there's something very specific that God has spoken to you regarding the people you lead, um, and then jot that down and really get practical for yourself. So let, let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your kindness, Lord, to to highlight areas and to, to, just to clue us in on how you want us to lead. It's very different, Lord. This, this particular identity statement is so challenging to put the interests of, of those that we lead ahead of our own and to care, care for them, to protect, to sacrifice for them, to be willing to um, serve faithfully and over time. Lord, these are challenging things, and so we pray for strength. We ask you for help right now in our different roles and responsibilities, Lord. We want to be able to present the people you've entrusted us to you in a way that is pleasing to you. So would you help us with that? We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.